Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Well, night has fallen on the American desert, and we've been real busy down at the Desert Oracle headquarters on the highway in Joshua Tree. Getting subscriptions and back issues mailed out, meeting with people, paying the bills, changing the toner cartridges in the printer, all kinds of stuff. Tax season, spending so much time at the desk that the sun blasting through the Venetian blinds is giving me stripes. The spring cleaning time, too. You want to get the place cleaned up pretty well because all the creatures are about to come out and you don't want a nest of centipedes under some old pile of mail-order catalogs and magazines you keep meaning to go through. All those desert real estate ads I can't seem to avoid picking up. You go to the taco shop, you look at the real estate. It's a sickness, really. How much real estate do you need? Well, in the desert, I need enough real estate to never see or hear a neighbor. Neighbor humans, anyway. And the less you see of the humans, the more you see of the coyotes, the bobcats, the roadrunners. Anyway, these real estate magazines from last year are not going to help today. Get in the recycling bin, all of you. You don't want a lot of clutter around unless you want a lot of desert recluse spiders and black widows and scorpions and other such things all over the place. I mean, you're going to have some. We're all going to have some scorpions and centipedes and such things crawling around in the worst places because that's one of the minor requirements of desert life. But it can be minimized. I love the scorpions and the centipedes and all of God's terrible creatures, but we all love them a lot more when we have a little space between one another. Like passing a rattlesnake on the trail at a reasonable distance, hopefully walking in a calm way and not in the crazy way common to those who encounter rattlers on the trail. You know what I'm talking about. You're trekking along with a song in your heart, and then this loud snake is right there, or somewhere very, very close. And in one awkward series of movements, you figure out where the rattlesnake is camouflaged within the sandy wash or the rocky outcrops, or half wrapped around a sagebrush, black brush, whatever it is. And you sprint away in a very crazy and ridiculous manner, like you're a marionette and somebody went overboard with the strings. Well, you fly when that rattling starts, that buzzing before you see the snake. People out here used to call them buzzworms. I guess that made people feel a little bit better to call such a shocking thing by such a dumb name. Eroding one's fears by giving the enemy a comic name, by mocking the very thing that fills you with dread. Mental defense. Sweet, sweet mental revenge. So now I'm right by the door. 
I'm putting envelopes full of desert oracles in the mail trays along the wall, and I see the doorknob turning, which is all right, I guess, because the door is unlocked, and I am keeping business hours on this particular day. The door pushes open, and there's a person there, a woman, and she looks like she has lived through some hard times. She is lean and wary, and not entirely unlike a coyote. I could not guess her generation, her age. Long ago, I found myself briefly in charge of an apartment building in a decaying city on the California coast, a city that had its charms but had been left behind, at least at the time. It was a kind of place that was very cheap to live in. $800 apartments wherever you looked, no car necessary. You got a muni pass for $32 a month. And even worked on the cable cars. You know, it's always nice to take the cable car to work in those days. Well, as usual, in our time, even in that time, a lot of people depended on various chemicals of the legal and illegal variety to get by, to make it through the day, make it through the night. I mean, people do that even more now. It's encouraged if you've got health insurance. There are medicines that help people get through the day, get through the endless hassles, the constant ripoffs, the boredom, the disappointment. For the good of enormous and openly evil technology and media and pharmaceutical companies, most of us are enslaved today. We are enslaved. We are not the customers of social media. We are the product. We are what is sold. Sold to corporations and foreign governments and secret societies of billionaires and behavioral scientists working together to increase shareholder value. Which always sounds positive when you hear it on the news. Shareholder value. Everybody likes value, right? Anyway, I remember seeing people in those days, those days when heroin and methamphetamine were snaking through the neighborhoods of the poor and displaced, as always. I remember seeing people and talking to them and having no idea how old they were, how young they were. People in their 20s could look skeletal and ancient. People in their 50s or 60s could be preserved in a kind of chemical amber. The lines in the faces very deep, carved in, but the general appearance frozen in time. Frozen in time, like an elf in those Lord of the Rings movies about the hobbits. Her eyes were wild. She asked if this is the Desert Oracle. I say it is indeed the office of the Desert Oracle. What do you do here, she says. I nod towards all the obvious office paraphernalia around me, and she says, you don't do the... Well, I'm listening, and she makes a motion, a series of motions, hands, eyes, etc. No one has ever done this before here at the office on the highway. A little homestead cabin on the highway I call headquarters, but I believe she has mistaken this place 
for a palm reader's storefront, a fortune teller. I believe this because my old friend Henry Copeland recently visited the office and he asked if people routinely walked in and demanded to see an oracle. Someone who would tell the future, read their palms, their tea leaves, their aura, do their numbers, their chart. That kind of thing. And I said, no, nobody had ever stopped by to ask for an oracle, like an oracle in ancient Greece. Somebody sitting in the bowels of a temple or some holy outcropping of rocks or some ancient grove. Zoned out on the sulfur fumes or whatever hissed and smoked out of the ground, out of the rip in the earth. And because of this, I knew it would happen soon. I should have been prepared, but I was not. Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. She said she needed to see the person who would tell her... Oh, what was it called? She could not remember. The person who would show her... The path. Her path. I did not have anything to tell her. Nothing good, anyway. I wished her the best, but the situation seemed dire. Who could have told her the path? The right path. Who knows how to navigate this rat maze, this database experiment, this mass marketing exercise. If the odds are in your favor due to being born lucky, born into luck, well, then you can still screw it up, still be screwed, still miss out. The palm of the hand may reveal a possible future, but if it was a reliable method, you can bet the life insurance companies would have patented the technique as soon as it proved profitable. Psychic phenomena is a real thing. Everybody knows it. Premonitions before a loved one dies. Thinking of a long-lost friend right before they call. Children meeting the white light apparition of Mother Mary or a pretender, or making Crayola scenes of terrorist attacks days before they happen. It's as real as anything, and rare is true love. Rare is a winning streak at the racetrack or the blackjack table. We'll figure it out one day. Someday. We see traces of it. We can do experiments, mind games of the educational kind. We could do it before, but we lost a lot of the ability. We lost a lot of the ability when the word appeared. When the Logos entered our species. Maybe from space. Maybe from another dimension. Maybe from an old robot satellite orbiting the Earth for millennia. William S. Burroughs called it the word virus, the alien virus, the word, language, a control mechanism, a system to control humanity. In the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh. Nothing but trouble ever since. Now, I like words myself, but I get the point. I get what he was going for. Now and then on my regular walk, my daily desert walk, I come across the family of coyotes that lives there or one of the families that passes through to get water down at the coyote hole. 
the coyotes come from all around to get to this hole because it's got water. And sometimes when I'm standing there on the trail looking at five or seven coyotes going by like ghosts, fading into the creosote and the sandy soil as they pass, I watch the way they communicate. The way they talk in whispers and side glances and the way the ear is cocked, those hypnotic amber eyes mostly staying on the matter of concern. The human walking by, walking by as usual, the human and his dog, the eternal union of person and canine. The dog is emotionally conflicted, even though his loyalty is strongly with the human. The choice was made maybe 30,000 years ago. Some of the wolves chose to hang around the human camps. Wolves and coyotes may have split apart 100,000 years ago or as early as 6,000 years ago. Much of the natural world changed then as humans develop cities and agriculture. The dog looks out at his cousins, the coyotes. They look at him. When it's a lone coyote, especially a juvenile, there's something like a polite meeting. They communicate through grumbles and eyebrows and ears and scent. And if more or less matched equally in size, they go their separate ways. Coyotes can mate with wolves and also with domestic dogs. One big family with many differences. I do love the coyotes. I love them and I know they'd eat me if I stumbled. I would eat them too if I was hungry enough. I enjoy the drama. It is best that we interact at a distance. Like people at the airport, keep your distance. We are not here to closely interact. If your dog is of the snack size variety, pick it up. Give a hoot. I saw an interesting article about the stomach contents of coyotes in urban and suburban Southern California, like those majestic coyotes of Silver Lake, of the Franklin Hills, like Ghost in the Night. Look it up if you like. Los Angeles Times, March 23rd. This one coyote had seeds and a squirrel paw and the tail of something or other and some blue plastic in its stomach. There is nothing like hearing the coyotes sing at night. It's not all the time, not every night, but when it's good and it's close, you run outside as quiet as possible and you listen to the commotion. The song. One time and only one time in my life so far... I was walking a dry wash in a Mojave Canyon and walked up on this ridge and there they were. There they were, 20 feet away, upwind from me. They either did not see me or they did not care. And good Lord, what a performance that was. Somewhere down in what they call Sphinx position in American yoga. Somewhere sitting up, throats open to the sky. It was a fantastic scene. I counted six coyotes, a sundown meeting of the mother and father, the pair that had long lived in that valley, and their two adult children and the two new mates. And then they noticed me, and I did what you should always do with a family unit of coyotes. 
hold up your hiking stick with both hands like a Tuscan Raider, make a little noise, scare them off. We are neighbors, not friends. Coyotes need to stay afraid of people. After all, people kill coyotes by the thousands. Your government kills coyotes by the thousands. State government, federal government, coyotes have killed, I believe, two or three humans over the past century or two. And some bites, some bites here and there at Elysian Park and other such rustic parts of our Southland cities. Coyotes eat some little dogs and some little bird-killing cats. Not enough, but some. The beautiful circle of life. Anyway, I came back to the office recently and found this note slipped under the door, dated March 11, or that's when I found it, March 11. There's no date on the note, but it's still much appreciated. D. Oracle. Listen to your program last night, driving back from the preserve between Amboy and 29 Palms. An amazing performance. Keep it up. Signed, John from New Hampshire and Chris from California. Well, Chris and John, thanks for listening to the program and thanks for the note. I appreciate that. That is one of the great nighttime desert drives. Uh, Hello and welcome to the screening at the Pioneer Town Motel of Jeremy Corbell's feature documentary, Patient 17. You're out in the desert, you're under these stars, the sky is filled with strange craft. It's our folklore, it's our mythology. We have to go get a book to remember the names of the Greek and Roman gods, but we all know about the greys and the UFOs and Richard Dreyfus, and a lot of us find that this stuff resonates a little more deeply than some of the older philosophies and ideas. We're steeped in it, from Hollywood, of course, from documentaries, and Mr. Corbell. Hey, thanks for having me. Tonight was the opportunity to show and screen this film here. So the film is a very bizarre story. It was about ripping out an object from a man's leg who has a history of abduction experiences. Now, Jeremy, you did not do the surgery yourself, is that correct? No, I did not, Ken. This is a real doctor we're going to see. Yes, he was a real doctor. His name was Dr. Roger Lear. He was a podiatrist. And how far is your house from here? You could probably walk there in about 10 minutes, huh? Well, I've done the walk. It took me about an hour through the moonlit. Maybe if there was a mountain lion behind you, you'd go a little quicker. I was going slow. This is your hometown screening. This is my hometown screening. Yeah. So, welcome everyone. Happy almost Thanksgiving week. We're going to see Patient 17 by Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell. So I heard my car, because it sounds like a UFO, the belt that can never be fixed. That means my doggy and my wife are right over there. So I'll just give me a minute. Let's talk some more. All right, sure. Where's my drink? Hold on. Jeremy, what's your license plate say on that car? In fact, my license plate says the UFO. Really? It does. Yeah. You can always spot him at the saloon, at Pappy's. Mostly those two places. <laughs> yes. Now, this film was recorded or filmed in what year? Well, I began filming of this in 2014, 
and there was a monkey wrench, which is the doc died of a heart attack in the middle of filming. So it took me a little while to be able to assemble the team of scientists and the people that would analyze this object for me post, you know, taking it out. So this was his last of 17 such surgeries. Yeah, this was his final surgery of 17 alleged alien implant removal surgeries. And I say alleged because people don't know exactly what it is that was taken out. Or what it does, right? Or what it does. You saw it? You touched it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh my God. Are you kidding me? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Of the 17 that he had taken out, what was the consistent part of the materials that he took out of people? Okay, so I'm, I'm really careful about this part of, of, of the consistency of all the samples because I was not personally there and I didn't get to see the custodianship of each sample. I read some of the reports. All I can talk about is object number 17, this, this object that came out, and it will be described in the film, the elements, the alloys, and the isotopes of this thing and why it is truly an anomaly and a mystery. But what he would say if he was here and he was alive is that out of all the objects that he took out, he put people through psychological exams, made sure they're not buck not crazy, just made sure that these people actually did have, you know, mentally, that they were strong. But additionally, the objects needed to be more dense than bone, which typically says alloy when you're doing CAT scans or or x-rays. And then he would remove them and have them elementally analyzed and isotopically analyzed. So they interrogate these objects with the top of the line technology to try to find out one, the isotopes because an isotope of an element tells you where it's from very simply, zinc on the moon is very different than zinc on earth and that can be quantified in a way, so that's what he would do with each of these objects taken out of people the alien implant idea is something you probably all heard of from X-Files Alone Gunman show had them. It's something that emerged in the 1990s of UFO lore. The, and we'll talk about this after the movie, how the UFO experience has changed in bizarre ways over time while also retaining connections to things that happened long before the term UFO would come out. But do you know when the alien implant meme appeared in ufology? I do know that it was something that was talked about in great depth for decades before Roger Lear started um, cutting them out of people. And up till now, we don't have anybody else who's willing to do the psychological screenings and work with laboratories and actually physically cut these out of people. There are foreign bodies that should be out of the body. Something that's not mentioned in the film you'll see is that I had a nanotoxicologist look at this. It's good. This thing got taken out of the guy's body. But uh, ultimately, Dr. Roger Lear was a pioneer in this field. There is, however, an offer I've just received for another surgeon to take on his work. There's a new doctor who's going to start doing this. Because since 2014, there has not been any doctor who has made himself publicly or herself publicly known that will perform a a surgery. So interestingly enough, because we're in a safe space in my hometown, Pioneertown, California, I'll tell you something. (laughs) There are cases within the military that are classified of unknown transmitters put in people. And that's something I'm trying to get uh, out to the public. So this phenomenon is not just the average person. 
uh, it also happens to soldiers. And so this is something that it deserves or it begs further um, investigation. I'm not standing there saying I know what this is, but we got further than ever before with the scientific analysis of one of these objects, and it has astounded everybody that has looked at it. So I hope that comes across in, in the movie. Now, they're, they're going to meet a very interesting person, the patient, and since we know this was a couple of years ago, everyone's going to be wondering whatever happened to this guy. We can talk in detail afterwards, but is he dead or alive at least? We uh, we're going to be going motorbiking together very soon over the holiday. He's doing good. He actually wanted to be here tonight because it's a private small little screening, not like the bigger one, so he could come here and enjoy it, but just got back from camping, so not here. All right. He exists still. Jeremy, are we ready? Patient 17, everyone. Thank you for coming. sound. I can't remember what in the movie had that scary sound. It might have been the guy washing his face. I don't know. If you're running around the high desert this weekend, keep your eyes open for that enormous bearded cowboy giant character standing by Highway 62 across the highway from the Desert Oracle, the giant highway mascot for the station. They've fixed up that place real nice, and now I've got a place to get coffee just across the highway. Too bad there's not a crosswalk or a pedestrian bridge or a wildlife crossing or something. From Amboy to Zizix and across the Great Mojave Wilderness, this has been Desert Oracle Radio, broadcasting from KCDZ 107.7 FM in downtown Joshua Tree, Friday nights at 10 p.m. Everywhere, all the time, with your favorite podcast player. This broadcast and this podcast is brought to you by Desert Oracle, the pocket-sized field guide to the strange and mysterious American deserts. We would publish these books more often if we had a little more time, maybe a little help in the office. Maybe I should have asked that woman looking for her path to stick around. At least bring it up. Maybe that was her path, and I missed the opportunity. I should have asked if she was familiar with Associated Press style good with line editing, that kind of thing. Basic newspaper skill set for a small publication. Writing, reporting, editing, photography, layout and design, blue pencils, copy editing, proofreading, retail delivery, mail order, social media, running out to the post office and the office supplies shop and the bank. I may have really dropped the ball there. Anyway, we are shipping book number seven stories from a desert campfire. It's a good one. 
Jeremy Corbell is in there writing about Skinwalker Ranch, and he's got a new movie coming out this summer about Skinwalker Ranch, the little old cattle ranch that opens up to the hell dimension. Monsters just keep tumbling out, and we keep giving them jobs. Put a necktie on the latest hideous immoral demon beast. Give him an opinion column. Give him a cabinet-level appointment. Make the most of the opportunities as they present themselves. Thank you for listening to Desert Oracle Radio, and good night from the voice of the desert.